I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Formula for Success. I'm David Coulthard and alongside me, still virtually, is my co-pilot, Eddie Jordan. Ah, Davis, I just love talking to you and it's nearly upon us. A couple of more days to go and we're all racing again. God, I'm, the, the time delay between me teeing you up and you responding, I thought you'd passed away or something, EJ. Last week, you had a bandage around your head looking like Pugsy. This week, you're looking normal. But there was, is that a satellite delay or you just were keeping me hanging? Well, they haven't got me in space yet. I know there are some people who would like me up there permanently, but I'm still here. Uh, and the good thing about this, I'm not underground, I'm above ground, and I'm not sure how long that's going to last for, but let's hope, keep our fingers crossed, that that will continue the way it is, DC. I I reckon you're timeless, EJ. You're like uh, Irish Highlander. You know, there can be only one, but (laughs) he lives a thousand years. Anyway, right, new season, Formula One. Lots of reasons to be excited. Uh, A lot of British talent out there as well. So is the tingle still there when it comes to a new season of Formula One? It is for me. I remember when we were designing, building the cars, it it was just a mystery as to how good it was going to be. It's different now, of course, everybody is in Bahrain sort of checking out what everyone is doing. But in in our day, and I'm sure the same when you were with Williams or McLaren or wherever, um, you you go testing, but you you never knew what tyres people, other car people were on. You never knew what, what, whether it was simulation, whether we're doing a full race distance or doing qualifying runs or this, that and the other. So... When you went to Australia, which used to be the first race of the season, it was a complete mind game and you had no real idea until such time as the cars ran on the track. Some years I'd have a great start. I remember Eddie Irvine won the race in the Ferrari and we were second. Then the next time, uh, Marty Brundle had a huge accident. So you never actually know until the first race. So hence that's why I always was so excited. You know, I would truthfully tell you that there were nights that I wouldn't be able to sleep just before the start of the season because you kind of you grow into it as as the season goes on of course you just treat it as a normal race Uh, whereas the first race it had all of that unknown factor in there and it kept me awake at night. You know you mentioned about the big shunt with Martin as as we've touched on before he rode over the rear of my McLaren and went airborne. As a driver I never have ever thought about the cost or the implications of a crash. It was more about the loss of track time or the loss of, you know, point scoring opportunity. But you as the governor, as the team owner, financially, you could you can't insure these cars. So you must have been like, oh God, more money out the door. Well, you know, the thing about the insurance was... Um 
it was easier and cheaper for us to make a part rather than what the insurance company would agree to pay you. And it was just a nightmare. But I, I couldn't have functioned without insurance in Formula 3 or 3000 because it, it, there was a price list when you were dealing with somebody like like um, Reynard or, or Ralt or whoever it was. Um, so that was easier to do. But I think Formula 1, I'm not even sure that anyone does do that cover system because how can you decide what a nose cone costs? Because it might cost McLaren um, £300,000 and it might cost Jordan £100,000 on, on, on the structure and the materials that they use. Um, and, of course, that is it. You, you build a car uh, that your budget and your spreadsheet and your balance sheet and your accountants are telling you, Eddie, no, you can't spend that amount of money. You have to spend this to keep within the framework of what you don't want to be a bankrupt hero. And as a result of that, each team is responsible for its own design and its own costings. And as a result, the first race, as we talked about, is so important because it gives you an indication of where you actually are. I guess now, the fact that there's a budget cap as well, that would have helped a team like Jordan. I'm, I'm not sure how often you had a budget of £130 million, but that's what the teams operate to now. And, it, and it's very strictly uh, policed. And, of course, there's some headline numbers out of that, top three employees, marketing budget, things like that. So the big teams will still be spending significantly more. But it is very tightly regulated when it comes to CFD, wind tunnel time, cost of production and things like that. Oh, but you know, everybody in Formula One is a scammer. And um, there's all sorts of ways of uh, circumventing the rules and David... I don't need to tell you, if you were hooked into a manufacturer, you would say to the manufacturer, could you ever run this little issue in your tunnel or could you ever do that on your your, your simulator or you could do this? Yes, I'm sure there's ways around it. But by and large, let's assume that all the teams are credible and they are honest and they are uh, law-abiding people. And that, that's some assumption, by the way. But nevertheless, <laughs> let's assume that. Um, the teams have a budget. This would have seriously improved Jordan's chances because I know what we had. If we had a third or a quarter of what the other, some of the other teams would have had, I'd be over the moon because I felt we could do an awful lot more with that money than, for example, you know, I'm saying... Had a lot of the big teams, a lot of fat involved? Yes. Had Jordan trimmed down to the bone? Absolutely. Even more so if possible. But, you know, that was part of the enjoyment, how we could do things on a lot less money by bringing on really good, talented people, both engineering-wise, mechanic-wise, driver-wise. And we brought young drivers on, which was a huge sense of satisfaction, not just for me, but everybody inside a team, because that was... They were the rules that we wanted to adhere to. Yeah. Right. Well, let's bring it to modern day. Uh, we've seen the results of pre-season testing. It seems to be general consensus uh, with all the usual waivers about we don't know what tyres, what fuel, what engine modes. But the general consensus is that uh, Red Bull, once again, with a quite, I would say, radical redesign of the car, you know, the, the zero... Uh, inlets on the radiators is, is something that Mercedes toyed with and then went away from. It looks like they've managed to make that work. Anything that stood out for you from that preseason or what what is the EJ whispering network telling you about what the running order might be? Surprisingly, despite the fact that I probably um, cycled with Mr. Adrian Newey about five times a week, he would never 
or neither would I ever ask him about any of the design concepts. So I was very surprised when I saw the car. Um, he is, in my opinion, a genius. As we know, his results stand up for themselves. And I, I was very impressed that here is a set of regulations. Here is, uh, if you like, a, a design concept that other teams had looked at tried to perfect, and they turned away from it. Uh, we only have to talk about last year, you know, the performance engineer Loic uh, at Mercedes and, and Lewis himself were very outspoken about uh, the performance of the car. And it only really kicked off for Mercedes when they went back to basics. Um, so Adrian decided that he would pursue this, and the car at the moment looks phenomenal, almost better than last year's car, uh, certainly after the first day where he was a second quicker than anybody else. And, you know, indirectly, I'm going to ask you, David, first of all, probably two-part question. Um, one, you've worked with Adrian, so tell us, what is that Midas touch that he has? What does he bring to the team? How was he to work with? And did he interfere a lot or was he uh, just very calm like what we see? Um, that's the first thing. The second thing, which is probably more important to me, and that is, would or why do racing drivers normally get a lot better paid than the chief designer, the chief engineer? Because we know where the, the, the car is usually about 70 or 80% of the actual results that you're going to get. So um, please, those two part, if you could answer those, I'd like you to do so. Yeah. Well, look, Adrian is is very calm in my, my mind. Uh, the whole time that I worked with him through Williams, uh, McLaren and Red Bull, I think the angriest I've ever seen him is sort of slapping his pencil on the table, <laughs> you know, maybe breaking the point. Um, he's not a... He's not a sort of imposing character like a Patrick Head and I'm sure maybe a Gary Anderson and, and, and others who would make their uh, displeasure known to all and, and you know, were sort of more larger-than-life characters. So I think Adrian is, is very much the, the quiet man of Formula One and that, ha that works for him. And clearly he uh, gets a lot of the credit, um, which would seem fair, but he'll also be the first to acknowledge that he's got an amazing team of people around him that are coming up with ideas. And, and I guess he is, uh, he's more of a, a sort of a shepherd now who is leading, leading the young talents towards what might be something that works within an overall concept. So I, I think remarkable man, no question. In terms of just how you know, working with him, he, he keeps things simple. And I think I mentioned this in a previous podcast, uh, or certainly I mentioned it at the launch. I went into great detail once about describing what the car was doing in every single corner, at every single speed. And at the end of this monologue, he went, what do you need to go faster? <laughs> and he kept it so simple. And I was like, well, that'll be the understeer. And he went, okay, well, let's, let's try and work on the understeer. So sometimes you can be too analytical as a driver or as an engineer, where actually, if you just focus on on one thing and try and fix that, and if you do manage to fix that, then then you go on to the next thing. So I, one of the things I, I love is uh, that, that he he often takes ideas from nature. You know, he might have a he might have a picture of a shark, uh, you know, photocopied and stuck on the side of the the drawing board, or it might be. Uh, you know, a, a Spitfire. It could be something that he's seen that's made that's triggered an idea and a thought process um, that allows him then to to go away and come up with these designs. And things like all of the cooling and and coming up with small radiators. You know, radi radiator inlet, as you know, 
great for cooling, but they just, they're big scoops of drag. You know, it's like sticking your hand out a car window sideways. You're just, you know, it's really more difficult to hold than if it's, uh, you know, it's its smallest profile. So if you can come up with, uh, uh, you know, no cooling ducts whatsoever, then you've got a much more slippery car. But for him to be able to achieve that, or the aerodynamics team there, then they need Honda, they need their, um, you know, heat exchange providers to come up with concepts and, and ways to still be able to cool. So I think the end of story message there is it's a, it's always a team effort. And then come to your final part of the question. I remember with Mr. Matyshitz in the early stages of um, trying to secure Adrian services. And when we explained what the asking price was, initially Mr. Matyshitz was not willing to pay. And I remember saying exactly what you've just said, EJ. I was going, well, you'd pay it for a driver and as far as I know, none of them design and build the race car. The driver's the final ingredient. And of course, a great driver will exploit any performance from a race car to a higher level than, than an average driver. But you give an average car to, to a great driver, unlikely he's going to win the championship. So you want to give a good car to a, a, an exceptional driver, and then they can go and work their magic. So um, having had that very simple discussion with him, in the end, uh, salaries were agreed, and Adrian... I believe is rewarded for for his skill set, and I'm sure that affects the entire market. I'm sure all of the designers and engineers that are known quantities and high achievers are on higher salaries today than they used to be. So well done, Adrian. But yeah, okay, we we, we leave the money side out because that's boring to most of the F1 uh, fanatics and fans and people that listen to our podcast because they don't want to hear costs. Well, you mentioned it. (laughs) You asked about money. Well, of course I do because I always will. And the thing is, I always, it was only because I paid our drivers nothing until Damon Hill came. So I always believed that a top designer, somebody like for us, Gary Anderson, he never really got paid from us what he was worth because he was in a different scenario. His his dream was to be able to build his car. And what Jordan gave to him was the opportunity, uh, uninvited, he just got on and did it. I'm just thinking at, say, Adrian's age group, um, you know, I think there isn't a team in Formula One that wouldn't want him, but yet they will pay fortunes for Lewis, for example, to go to Ferrari. Um, but we should probably move on from that. Except just one thing that I you mentioned there, um, cooling and the ducts, as you rightly say, for the radiator. The race car is one thing, but the engine is another. And when you have the engine in there, every race uh, engine manufacturer will will want as much cooling as they can ever get going through that radiator because they never want their engine to get warm or hot or overheating because that's what blows up engines. Whereas the best way is to have the engine on the brink of its capacity uh, heating-wise. And that's often the case that we don't normally talk too much about, but the engine manufacturer has their say in how the design of that uh, cooling system works. And I know I can tell you from Honda or from Ford, when we were there with them, they were always so fussy about the amount of air that goes through the radiator. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, cooling is king for an engine. That is absolutely sure. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. 
Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Um, let's move it along to the other big news, of course, that uh, has filtered through the sport and shaken everything up. Lewis Hamilton to Ferrari. Now, great news for the sport, I think we can all agree, because it's given a little winter boost um, to the the fans of the sport. Where do you see this, though, in terms of how it will be for him within the team? Everyone puts on a brave face and goes, look, we're professional and we'll all work towards trying to win races. And I I, I totally believe that, of course. And I've been in a situation where uh, I've had a contract for another team whilst I've been competing for uh, for Williams. I'd already signed to McLaren and that was, that was public knowledge. But it wasn't as early, like pre-season. It came out halfway through the year, which is when a lot of contracts get done. So do you do you think honestly think that everyone will just crack on and it will be as it was because people will forget? Or do you think Lewis will start to feel somewhat isolated and therefore George Russell, this is the moment for George to sort of sharpen his blade. Uh, I've been watching a lot of Vikings recently. Vikings, sorry if that analogy is is not great, but you know, whatever, focus his mind. You're hooked up with a lot of Vikings, I think, aren't you, David? Well, I, I like, yeah, I like Northern Europe. Um, so, what do you reckon? I thought you liked Brazil as well. I mean, you seem to like all sorts of places, but nevertheless, move on. We won't have to talk about that. I've been doing a world tour. <laughs> you certainly have. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, David, you have a lot you could really tell us, but you're keeping it for yourself. Um, the reality with Lewis, I'm going to make a little forecast. This is just my opinion. I think Mercedes will win Grand Prix this year, but I think... I think it'll be Lewis. I think Lewis will win a Grand Prix this year. And I think that is important for him and for uh, Mercedes and for his exit. I think nothing more would please him or his fans or whatever it is to leave on a high note. Um, It's far too long since he won a Grand Prix. And, you know, George is there. George is picking up the pieces. I think George will learn so much, as we've said already. Uh, Lewis Hamilton, seven times world champion. One great thing that Damon Hill taught Jordan, and that is knowing how to win. And I think that experience that George is driving alongside somebody who knows how to win uh, will be invaluable to him. Um, I think, in my opinion, that uh, Lewis is still on good terms, I understand, with with Toto and with the team. And I cannot believe that Toto is distracted by 
being, if you like, being difficult about Lewis going to Ferrari. I think he will want to make sure uh, for himself, for the board directors, for Mercedes, for their sponsors, for the team, for everybody associated. I'm absolutely certain that Toto will give everything he can to both drivers. I do not think he will play games. Yeah, I think, look, the team, I think it's just in the DNA of Formula One teams, uh, mechanics, engineers, all of these people are just high achievers. And I just can't imagine they would ever do anything other than give 100% to both their drivers. And therefore, thereafter, the drivers go out and show show what they can deliver. I just really, I guess, the question was, George needs to be getting his, his elbows out to really assert himself as the number one there. Because even though when Nico was there alongside Lewis, and I know you're a big big fan of what Nico achieved and all credit to his world championship, but there was always a sense that Lewis was the number one, even if it didn't happen on that year. Do you, do you understand what I'm getting at? You know, this is an opportunity now for George to go from Grand Prix winner to champion elect. Um Mm, I think that's been premature. He's got to beat Lewis first and then he's got other competitors and then he's got to beat Red Bull. Do I think that George will be the provider of the world championships, multiple world championships, um, that Lewis brought to the team? Do I see that in George? It's not abundantly obvious at this particular moment, but can he win a title? Absolutely. But could he win seven? Time will tell. But I'm not saying that he will or he won't. I'm just saying he has he has first got to win the first one. Okay, well, let me let me expand on that then, just in terms of the psychology. And as a, as a team principal, you are there to sort of rally the troops, to make sure your engineers feel loved and that you're supporting them, make sure your drivers are, you know, focused on the job in hand. So you've got Lewis knowing that he's off to a new marriage with Ferrari uh, for 25. You've got Carlos knowing he's on his way out and therefore he's been stepped over. And on one hand, I guess he can go, well, look, it's a seven-time world champion that has taken my slot. So it's not like it's a young pup that's come in and and pushed him out. But where do you you see his mindset? And what would you do to to try and still extract the best out of, of Carlos during the course of this year whilst he inevitably tries to find a new bride, a new team? Look, um... For those people who who watch carefully from Bahrain, there's no secret Carlos Sr., who is a close friend of both of ours, um, Carlos Jr. uh, will have learned a lot from his dad and he will say, look, that's what's happened. You're precisely right. Seven times world champion has taken your seat. Ferrari have made that decision. But what was the photograph we all saw in every newspaper? We saw Adrian Newey, we saw, was it Helmut Marko? I'm not sure who it was, but it was certainly the, the, the great and good at Red Bull and the person standing up, talking to them and delivering to him was um, Carlos Sr. So Carlos Jr. has been a Red Bull driver. I think he will do everything he can to beat uh, Leclerc. I think that will be in his mindset. And the reason why that's in his mindset, he will want to convince 
the powers that be at Red Bull that he needs to be back there with Max if that's the situation, if that's how the, the season unfolds. So I think his first priority is absolutely Red Bull. And let's be honest, he was the only Ferrari driver that won a race last year. And um, so he has it in his mind that he is able to win Grand Prix. Yes, he, he, he may not be as quick a race driver uh, as uh, Charles, but for sure he's a better qualifier in my opinion. And um, as a result of that, uh, he has a lot going for him and we need to see how this season unfolds. But I see him going deeper and deeper into his talent drawer to make sure he brings out every race meeting the best. And I think he has great motivation now to produce an unbelievable season for himself, his family, and to making sure that he gets into the team that he wants to get to. Yeah. It's interesting you you put so much emphasis on Carlos's qualifying. I, I would say, for me, his his sort of race consistency is, is his strength. And I would I would question his single lap pace relative to Charles. But as we saw in Singapore, when he does get everything right in qualifying, he, he's like, uh, you know, just Mr. Consistent in that respect. So anyway, time will tell how the season unfolds. I think at this point we should wrap it up and say that's all we have time for today. A nice short, sharp uh, podcast. So to our loyal listeners, you can remember, you can follow Formula for Success on Spotify and whenever you do listen to your podcasts. And you can find us on social media with the handle at F1 for Success. And of course, Eddie, you've just got on the gram. What is that? What, what's your, your name on that? Is it something really difficult like Eddie Jordan? I, I resisted it for so long um, and I think there was maybe five, seven more um, fake ones that um, you know I hate faking it David, you should know that so you're the same um, <laughs> and as a result um, yeah, Whisper, your company and myself, we came to an agreement we'd stick it up on Instagram so as we'll have um, the real Eddie Jordan this time. David, I, I can't let you go without asking you a couple of things just give me a couple of things into that wizard brain of yours, tell me a couple of things that you think will unfold this year, just in your opinion where do you see, so we, we don't need to talk about Max winning just tell me, who who do you think will be the big surprise of all the drivers coming through? Ooh. I would, well, I would like to see Alex Albon continue to grow in confidence and in performance. Um, I think he, he's done a great job at, at Williams and we can all get very excited about it. But all you need is a really quick teammate alongside you and all of that good work can be undone. So, you know, I don't think he's he's pushed as hard by his teammate as he would be if he was alongside a Charles or a Lewis or a Max. So that's I, that's where I want to see Alex build himself to the point where if, whether it's at Williams or whether he gets a chance um, in, in one of the, the more successful teams of the last few years, that he's built the mental resilience to be able to handle that. Because as you know, some drivers, like Heinz Harrell, for instance, in a mid-grid team outperformed the car and delivered and, and won races for you and almost, you know, was top three or wherever he was in the World Championship. But when he got his big chance at Williams that was a winning car and a World Championship car, it didn't work out for him. So for some reason, certain drivers, when they get the big spotlight of opportunity, they crumble. And for others, they, they really show incredible performance, let's say, in the middle of the grid. So I'm, I'm hoping that Alex, uh, having been humbled when he was alongside Max, is now the, the the real deal because I think he's uh, he's a he's a great kid and 
Uh, sorry, that's a bit disrespectful to say kid. He's a fully grown man and grumpy driver. But what I mean is he's, he's, a, he's a lovely human being and obviously a very fast driver. Uh, so let's see how he performs. Uh, really curious to, to watch the Lando Oscar battle. And, you know, still... Uh, a little tingle in my heart for McLaren, having done nine seasons there. Their road back towards success, um, very much following that and liking what they're doing. But then, geez, actually, Eddie, now now you ask me, there's there's so many of them that I've got a soft spot for, like Charles and Carlos and Ferrari. God, I'm, I think what it is, I'm just a fan of the sport, and I, I struggle when I see average. And for, I was going to say you're soft in the first place. <laughs> no, but look, I know those who are not a fan of me will go, well, you are average. And well, look, everyone's entitled to their opinion. But I think Formula One is about potential and, and performance. And therefore, when somebody is not showing performance over a couple of seasons, I think that it, we're staring the, at the inevitable. They might get a third season, or maybe even a fourth, or maybe even a fifth but they're not going to do a decade or 15 seasons on average. So so ah. I, I just think that... Uh, you did. Uh, did you about to say I did? <laughs> yeah, I did 15 seasons on average. Yeah, you're right, fair enough. But you did, how many seasons did you do? I, I, about, I, I decided to withdraw that comment, David. I didn't want to be in. Yeah, well, anyway, look, on that point then, EJ, I've already done the wrap-up. Okay, so should I get off? Because I was going to ask you, will Andretti be on the grid in 25? Now, but that's still too far away, but... Ain't going to happen. <sighs> it's an issue, and uh, Haas, Haas did a poor job at the first test, and I think they're under a real, real pressure. And I think, uh, I have to say that I think, as one of my forecasts coming up, I think you might find a link between Haas and Andretti to get them into Formula One, and that can only be good. Yeah, well, there's an... An EJ prediction. <laughs> An EJ prediction. I just think that Andretti has, I've no idea, I've not spoken to anybody whatsoever in the group, but I just think it makes that bit of sense. We need a strong American uh, outfit, and I think those two together perhaps could be just a ticket. Anyway, I'm going to give you and leave you and say, uh, let's hope we have a brilliant race in Bahrain. I have a soft spot for Bahrain because um, the Crown Prince is one of the greatest all-time entrepreneurs and the greatest friends of Formula One that we've ever got. And uh, Crown Prince Salman, he, he, he's adorable, such a great host. And um, I'm going to just give him a growl. So, David, thank you for today. Thank you, EJ. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.